Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken with uh, Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Today we're beginning the 16th chapter in the book of Acts. And this is during what we refer to as, as Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, in the last chapter we saw that Paul and Barnabas had accompanied each other on the first missionary journey uh, and had parted ways. Uh, uh, Paul and uh, Paul and Silas traveled back into Galatia while Paul, Barnabas and John Mark decided to go into Cyprus. So we had Paul and Barnabas before one amazing uh, 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 team of missionaries and now we have two teams. And as I explained in, uh, in our last week, that's exactly how God works. When there's talent like that on loan from God, uh, God uses that talent in ways that we often don't expect. So we're going to begin today reading in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra, Lystra and Iconum. Paul wanted to have him go with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. As we said, this is Paul's second missionary tour. And Paul is revisiting the cities that he had just come from uh, probably the last year, year and a half before, um, including Derby and Lystra. Uh, now we can't just pass by these towns without remembering what happened just a, a few chapters back. Uh, likely, again, it was about two years for, for Paul and uh, for for Silas or Paul and Barnabas, uh, but for us it was just a couple weeks, a couple of chapters back. In, in Acts chapter 14, we read that it was in Lystra that Paul healed a man that had been crippled since birth. Uh, the layman then gets up and begins to, to jump around. Well, these Greeks that know nothing really of Paul and Barnabas, but are followers of the Greek gods, determine that Paul and Barnabas are, are Greek gods uh, themselves. Hermes and Zeus, and, and they're ready to sacrifice an ox to them. Well, Paul attempts to, to straighten them out, um, but the situation actually goes from bad to worse because some Jews arrive and they attack Paul because of the gospel he preaches, and then these Greeks from Lystra join in with them and they stone Paul, and they drag him outside the city and they leave him for dead. However, the scriptures say that when the disciples came and gathered around Paul, Paul gets up or he rises depending on uh, whether he was actually dead uh, from this or the stoning was unsuccessful. And then Paul returns to the city. You know, so Paul is taking Silas, his, his new companion, uh, to Derby. 
in Lystra, where he had planted churches and administered to the Greeks that were there. And really, we can say that he administered earlier under less than ideal circumstances. You know, I think being stoned is probably uh, a good example of being less than ideal. And the scriptures tells us that he meets a disciple named Timothy. And it says, who was half Jewish, his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek. And he was a disciple, that's what Dr. Luke says, meaning that he was a, a follower of, of Jesus Christ. I still love that word disciple. You know, it, it has so much meat to it, uh, much more than our term Christian, although there's nothing wrong with the word Christian. I just love this word disciple. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and was spoken of well by the brothers. Uh, these are the other disciples of Jesus. Now, as we read, Paul decides that Timothy is, is qualified to come with him on, on a missionary journey, but he wants him to be circumcised. And we, we need to talk about that for sure. But before we get there, I want to pause for a moment because it says that Timothy, Timothy's mother was Jewish. And we're going to see this is actually very key. What I find fascinating is that under Jewish law, going back centuries before Christ, it clearly states that it is the mother that is the determining parent in deciding if a child, in fact, is, is Jewish. The Torah states that the child of a Jewish mother, that um, the, the child of a Jewish mother is Jewish. Regardless of the father's lineage, while the child, um, uh, while the child of a non-Jewish mother is not Jewish. This is called uh, matrianal descent, and it has been a foundational element of Jewish law and was understood by all of the Jews at the time of Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy. This is Jewish law. Now, it isn't part of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It was part of the volumes of rabbinical teaching. And just as interesting, a modern DNA testing for ancestry relies on mitochondria DNA. And the, there's markers in the mitochondria DNA that determine the ancestry of a person. Now again, it comes from the mother, not the father. Now I know very little about this, but I was talking to my, my daughter uh, who has her PhD and she's actually a qualified scientist. And she said, well, it's quite obvious. The, the mother is donating the egg. The, the complete set of all of the DNA, while the father is just com completing one half set, only just his, his set, that's it. But the mother has the, the full set, and that's why it's the mother's lineage that determines ancestry even to this day. So let's move on. I want to talk about the circumcision of, of Timothy. It says Timothy's mother was Jewish. Because she is Jewish, the Jews would consider that Timothy was Jewish, as I just explained. We also know that in Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, we find out that Timothy's mother was a woman named Eunice, and his grandmother, Eunice's mother, was Lois. Now, Luke explains that, that Timothy was brought up in Hebrew tradition. So even though his father was Greek, his mother, who is now a believer, by the way, just like Timothy is, had brought him up in the Hebrew traditions. So. Dr. Luke here actually treats this circumcision of, of Timothy rather casually, especially when you consider that the previous chapter, in fact, the previous two chapters, were all about this idea that there were certain men that came in from Jerusalem insisting that 
the Greeks had to be circumcised and, and follow the laws of Moses before they became Christians. And, and this was a dispute that was, that was settled in the, in the previous chapters. Well, we see that the apostles went back to, to I'm sorry, that Paul and, and Barnabas went back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and the apostles said no. But here we see Paul having Timothy circumcised. And, and actually, Dr. Luke tells us why. You just have to, to read it slowly. Paul was primarily concerned with the Jewish-Gentile issues. And he wanted Timothy, if he was going to join Paul and Silas on their journeys, he wanted Timothy not to have any baggage. He wanted Timothy to be able to, to come in and be able to speak to the Jews because he was trained in the scriptures and he, was, and he understood the, the Jewish traditions. He wanted them to be able to, to come in to the synagogues and in order to do that, he had to be, be circumcised. Also, Timothy is half Greek, but his, but his mother his, uh, is, is, a, is a believer, Eunice. Um, so, so Timothy would be able to not only talk the Hebrew talk, but he would be able to walk the Hebrew walk. That is, of course, after he was healed. Little joke there. So Paul wanted to go forth with him, it says. Paul saw the potential of young Timothy and that he possessed the qualities that would make him useful in ministry. Did you know that we all have qualities that make us useful in ministry? We just have to find the right ministry. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things that we can do if we just allow the, the Lord to, 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 uh, to show us where we need to go. I like the saying that God's more interested in your availability than he is your ability. So you see, we've all been given talents um, from God, and all of us are, can be useful in ministry, just like Timothy was going to be useful on this missionary journey with Paul and with Silas. Let's move on. Verse 4 says, And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep, which had been ordained of the apostles and elders that were in Jerusalem. Now, the decrees that are mentioned are exactly what, were, what was contained in the letter that the apostles wrote that they sent to, to Antioch. As you recall, the Gentiles were not to be burdened by circumcision. They didn't have to become Jewish in order to become Christians. However, they were asked to, buy, to abide by what we're calling the law of love as, as opposed to the law of Moses. To refrain from eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and to avoid sexual immorality. Now, Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy as well, not only would be preaching the gospel, but they would also be bringing this tool bag that had this letter from the apostles in Jerusalem, and it's, and it's a benefit to the, to the Greeks. Um, these new Greeks, these new believers in the Lord, these brand new followers of, of Jesus, from, um, it, it protected them. This letter would protect them from the Judaizers. Now, unlike the Judaizers, who we saw had, had hidden motives and were actually jealous of the the Gentiles, these, these Judaizers were legalists. They were of the party of the Pharisees. Paul, and I'm sure both Silas and Timothy, had purer motives. They loved the Gentiles. They loved the gospel. And they wanted the people to have every opportunity to not only hear the gospel, but once they received the gospel, to be able to grow in the Lord, 
without the baggage of what these Judaizers were, were placing on them. Uh, they didn't, the, Paul didn't want them to be hindered by circumcision and law-keeping. Um, it was in this way that we see in verse 5, it says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. That's the strengthening that they needed. They were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. That wording should seem familiar to you. It was the same wording we, we heard in the second chapter of Acts, that the, the church was growing daily. Daily new uh, people were coming into the church and being baptized. You know, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to be on the faculty of a, of a, a, a program or a school called Kaleo, which is a Greek word meaning called. And I had the opportunity to teach a class with a friend of mine on church history. Uh, the textbook that we chose for the class was a book called The Rise of Christianity. And it was by a, a very famous sociologist and historian named uh, Dr. Rodney Stark. Um, he was from the University of California. Our sermon series called Unstoppable highlights the amazing growth of the early church as we see it here through the Acts of the Apostles. Dr. Stark in his book Rise of Christianity gives four reasons, four reasons why the early church grew so quickly uh, in, a, such a short, in a, such a short period of time. Uh, Dr. Stark, Stark says it dislodged paganism, his words, uh, and became the dominant faith of, of the Western civilization. So he gives four reasons. I'm not going to go through all of the detail on them, but I'll just summarize these four reasons. And when we get to number four, you'll see exactly why. The first reason he said was that uh, these Christians had social networks that were already in existence, such as the Jewish communities, uh, but also the way that the Christian communities networked with each other. The second reason, Dr. Stark says, the church grew so quickly was the development of a caring uh, safety network. Christians cared for the sick and the, uh, the widows and the orphans. The Roman government didn't have social security programs. They didn't have the kind of, of safety nets that we have today in Western civilization. The third was the development and advancement of a higher morality that stood against adultery, infanticide, and it promoted the well-being of women, slaves, children, and the responsibilities of, of married men uh, to their families. And the fourth reason he gives is what Stark calls the theology of love. Theology of love. Kind of very similar to what we call the, the law of love. Um, and it's contrasted to, in our reading, the, the law of Moses. Not that the law of Moses was inferior, it was just that the believers had been forgiven and, and they were set free from the law of sin and death. Uh, and they are, actually have a higher calling uh, to love their neighbor as themselves, to advance the gospel, to live a life of service and sacrifice for your friends and your family and even strangers in need. And this is the, the heart of, of Christianity that, that took place and that, that took hold uh, of, of much of Europe and in Asia uh, in the few hundred years after Pentecost. So let's continue. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. It says, now when they had gone through um, uh, Phygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they came to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. 
and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, and concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So these, these places that we read of, uh, Mycenae, Bithynia, Troas, the scripture makes reference um, to Asia. Uh, and we know that area as, as Asia Minor, the present area of, of Turkey. It's interesting that when we read, it said the Holy Spirit in some way vetoed uh, their plans to go deeper into Asia, meaning going east and farther north. Uh, likely um, uh, into the areas that John actually writes to these churches in Revelation. Now we don't have any further information from Dr. Luke why it happened this way, uh, but it is an example of what we refer to often, how God closes a door and then opens another door. And we see this particularly in ministry. I, I mean, it happens actually in our, in our normal everyday life. We see God closing doors and then opening doors, but particularly in ministry. We see God doing that. That's how God leads. And in this case, uh, Paul actually had a vision that specifically told him where to go. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia, the area we know as Greece, and help us. Now, there's a number of, of men and women that are in ministry uh, that can attest uh, very clearly that where they ended up is completely different than where they thought initially God was sending them. Again, God opens and closes doors and directs our steps. In fact, that's exactly what Proverbs 16.9 says. Pro Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, I can tell you, in, in, our, in our brief journey, the last 20 years or so that we've been uh, full-time in ministry, uh, my wife can tell you also that very often, what we thought were great opportunities for ministry and locations either didn't pan out or ended up being a very short-term assignment for us. However, we, we've never looked back. We've also felt that God was the one that was, was directing our steps. He was the one that was opening doors for ministry for us. And by the way, we're very happy that God ended up directing our steps here in, in Celebration, Florida. So let's read our last section. Our, our last passage from Acts 16 for today, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. 
you know, this is, there's a word that appears in verse 11 that I, that I missed, uh, but unfortunately it was called to my attention as I began to do some research and, and read from some commentaries on this passage in the book of Acts. And that word is we, W-E. It says, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. In sailing from Troas, Paul and his missionary team now include Dr. Luke. That's the we. Um, and they had to sail across the Aegean Sea. Now, the Aegean Sea traditionally marks the border between Europe and Asia. Uh, it says they followed a straight course, which means that they had the wind to their backs. Now, the wind to your back is another expression of having God's favor, of, of God allowing you and encouraging you and promoting where you're going. Neapolis, Philippi were their first stops, according to the scriptures. Now, this area is all called Macedonia. We know it as Greece. And Paul had the vision of the man from Macedonia was calling to him. And, and Paul followed the spirit and he was determined to plant churches wherever he went. Uh, so he went to these major cities. He knew that it was easier for the gospel to be able to spread and to be able to catch on where there were a large number of people. Now these last few verses, verses 13 through 15, speak to the conversion of, of Lydia. And it says, on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. There's, there's a lot in that, in that, in that one verse. Uh, just a couple of observations. If there had been a synagogue, Paul, along with his traveling companions, would have been to the synagogue. As the women are mentioned here a couple of times, indicating there most likely were not enough faithful Jewish men in this city to be able to establish or maintain a synagogue. But instead, Paul goes to an area near the river and this is, says, this is where they commonly went for prayer. It was, it was out of the city. It was away. Have you ever done that yourself? Have you ever just gone into the, to the country, walked around the lake, gone into the forest, and just spent, a lot, spent some time with God? And that's what they were doing. They were getting out of the, the city. They were going someplace where they could commune with each other and be able to commune with God. These, these women, by the way, uh, were joined by other other, the, uh, by others that also believed in God and they were for, there for prayer. Uh, these were Gentiles uh, that were called God-fearers. They, they weren't Jewish, but they believed in the, in the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 14, we're introduced to, to Lydia. It says she was from Thyatira, and now that's in Asia Minor across the Aegean Sea, one of the cities that the apostle John writes to in, in the book of Revelation. And it says she was a seller of purple from Thyatira um, who worshiped God. Now historians note that the dyes that were used in making purple were, were very rare. And because they were rare, they were very costly. So Lydia, she was a seller of purple, meaning that she was a merchant. She was actually probably pretty well off. Um, and, we, and we see this because she has a, a household and she invites Paul and his companions to stay at the household as well. It, the scriptures tell us the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is the one uh, that opens our hearts to hear the gospel. Jesus says of himself and of the Lord, 
in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to praying for your family, your children, your grandchildren, your, your relatives, your neighbors and your friends, your, your co-workers, when you're, you're praying for your city, we also need to pray that it would, God would open their hearts to be able to respond to the gospel. You know, if you listen to our, to our podcast on Faith Dialogue, we have an announcer that begins each podcast, and there's over 170 of them now, and it says, put on the, she says, put on the ears that he, that the eyes that see, the ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. You see, we want God to be able to do the pre-evangelism work for us. You know, we're just, we're just there to plant the seed. God has to do the work. Now, my closing remarks, note that Lydia came to the Lord. She was baptized uh, along with her household. And let me tell you, baptize them. Every time in the Bible we see somebody being saved, they're baptized. And, and I, I feel so badly for so many of our churches that have de-emphasized baptism. Now I've said many times before that we're saved by, by grace, through faith. It's not of works. You know, God is the one that, that saves us. But at the same time, God has told us to be, to be baptized. We need to be baptized. And, and let me tell me, my friends, if, if you have not been baptized, um, I want you to seriously consider that. I would love to be able to baptize you if you're not in this area, your local churches. Uh, when we were in South Florida, we had the opportunity to baptize many people in the Atlantic Ocean. It was a, it was a glorious day. Uh, we'd have our tents up, we'd have our flags up. There was one day we baptized over 200 people in the Atlantic Ocean. There was, I think there were seven pastors out there, no waiting. So there's lots of opportunity to be baptized. But every time we see people getting saved in the New Testament, we see that they're then uh, baptized as well. So my closing remarks is, is when it, we see Lydia coming to the Lord, she's baptized along with her household. Now we don't see a, a Mr. Purple, a Mr. Lydia at all in the scriptures. So we can assume that she's likely the head of the household. You know, we're so thankful, and I admire so much the young women, and even the, the older women as well, that are the heads of the households, that have raised their children, that provide them not only with the physical comforts of a home, but also the spiritual teachings that they need. They lead them to the Lord. We need to provide physically for our families, but we also, much more importantly, need to provide for them spiritually as well. The scriptures say that she and her household were baptized. And then she offered Paul hospitality, and he, along with his companions, stayed there for a while as he was ministering in the area. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be able to get to open your scriptures today. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.